0: Welcome to The Busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living come together. Here members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to leave a comment regarding this episode or the podcast in general. To leave a comment, go to love the podcast that's all one word love the podcast.com forward slash B as in boy LDS or you can click on the link in the show notes World Traveler Author, managing editor for The Third Hour, and a Jewish convert to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Gail Boyd offers a wide range of experiences that interweaves throughout our conversation as we discuss the Old Testament, Israel, Judaism, the attributes of Christ, and the Scriptures. You will find this episode a delightful trip down the road of discovery to a deeper understanding of the Scriptures. Now, here's Gail. Well, Gail, welcome. How are you doing? Pretty good. Good. Well, I'm here in your home. It's a lovely home and uh, got to meet your cat. (laughs) So it's wonderful to hear to be with you. And then we've got a lot of things in common we're gonna be talking about here. Super. But um, let's talk about your family first. You are married and you have six children. Correct. Where are they all located?
1: I have one in Australia, one in Jordan, and four in Utah right now. That will always change. It's always on the verge of changing.
0: And the one that's in Australia, are they there forever or just?
1: No, it should be a few more years and then I think their next stop is Geneva.
0: Geneva, well, what do they do? To... It's
1: international business.
0: Oh, an international business. Mm-hmm. Okay. We
1: lived abroad for about 14 and a half years and so our children are really oriented towards global living and so they're either out of the United States, or wishing they were out of the United no. States.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now, you said, I think you said you've been at 34 different homes, something um, like
1: that? Not quite, but a lot. We mo- we have always moved often, and um, and our kids are fine with that, too. So, we have a, a couple who stayed put because of their spouses, but uh, the others are... Are fine with moving around. Yeah. So.
0: Well I saw somewhere as I did some research on you that your favorite place is someplace else.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny after you um, experience all of these different cultures they mm-hmm. each have distinct holidays and distinct traditions and distinct foods you're just homesick for somewhere all the time mm-hmm. but it's never the place you're in so if somebody mentions one of the countries we've lived in um then i get homesick and hungry at the same time oh.
0: <laughs> well now um you are a jewish convert to the church correct uh, how long ago was that
1: um i converted to the church when i was 16. Um, my parents are both jewish and in fact i had my dna done on ancestry and i have a pie chart that's all one color oh um i am 100% European Jewish, okay. and the thing is that my parents weren't practicing and And my father was an astrophysicist. So huh. our, our religion at home was science huh. So even even though I'm a Jewish convert When I was 16 and joined the church I was converting away from a non-religious um, Atmosphere in my home or our religion is science to to the gospel and then as I realized my heritage, then I learned more and more and more about um, Judaism, and then we went to live in Israel for eight years. So,
0: so your parents had no objection to you joining the church? Oh or? no, they objected. Oh, they did object. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: <laughs> they did object, and and what happened was, um, I you know I started going to to the ward with a friend um, and had a spiritual manifestation. The second I walked into the building. I I had never had a spiritual experience before and I received this overwhelming assurance that this was the place I needed to be for the rest of my life. And and my parents um, hated the idea um, and a couple of things made them made them acquiesce. One was I was already dating a, a boy in the ward, and they thought new boy, new church. Mm-hmm. Um, that I this was just going to be temporary, and so I while I was dating him, I'd be LDS, and then if I found a Methodist boy, I'd be Methodist, and that didn't work out according mm-hmm. to their plan. <laughs> um, and then secondly, the the word of wisdom and the moral code, they could see that it was. I wasn't going to get into any serious trouble and in fact it was protective mm-hmm. so they you know they acquiesce but they when you have parents who acquiesce like that and they haven't bought in to the situation they get in the way of a lot of things so mm-hmm. so learning about the church and becoming completely involved was very difficult um until i went to byu and that they sent me to University a university of california campus which was probably the most difficult year of my life because of the of the immorality there um and then I I lied to my parents and applied to BYU and and didn't tell them till it was too late that I'd been accepted and so then it was their choice to pay or not and it's so cheap so when I got up to BYU then I could immerse and start learning how the church worked I ended up with fabulous roommates, and so it was an opportunity to be in an LDS home and see how an LDS home functions. So that, yeah. that helped a lot.
0: Well, there's a difference between being uh, religiously active and culturally active. So from the standpoint of your parents being Jewish, they celebrated the high holidays or they didn't? No, they didn't.
1: Um, when when I was a young child, we lived in Washington DC and my entire extended Jewish family it was in the East. Um, my father was a professor at Johns Hopkins University and he w- was also um, an, a, a reserved um, lieutenant colonel in the army and he had been working on a, um, a special project that was joint between Johns Hopkins and the Applied Physics Laboratory in Pasadena, California. So when I was eight, we moved to California, and as soon as we got to California, and there was no extended family mm. around, um, all of our vestiges of Judaism disappeared. Mm. And so I remember in my early life, going to Passover's at my relatives' homes, even though I didn't really understand, I remember going to a synagogue but not often just rarely and then as soon as we got to California my mother never wanted anyone to know that she was Jewish and hmm. so my parents were what they call completely assimilated hmm. my father really didn't believe in God he was an atheist essentially and so it, there was nothing
0: no oh. now your family goes back to Europe did you lose family in the Holocaust
1: I did. Um, Of course, my direct family came to the United States, and that's why we're all still alive. Um, My my German-Jewish family, my mother's side, came really in the middle of the 18th century. And and my direct ancestors settled in North Carolina and were conscripted into the Civil War. And so when you picture um, Confederate soldiers, you don't usually picture them only speaking Yiddish. But that's (laughs) what they were. and then others went to Philadelphia, New York. Um, my mother's family, if anyone who's listening likes uh, raisinettes or Goober's candy, they were invented by my mother's family, the Blumenthal brothers in Philadelphia. So um, they, they went into that business of flavorings and, and candy. My father's family got here later. They, they, they were Russian, they were from Ukraine and they came in about 1914 mm-hmm. and of course the the eastern european jews were the poor cousins of the german jews who nope. were established doing very well right. and everything um so the by by my father coming over um as a russian jew um, my family missed the the russian revolution they missed the starvation in ukraine um so a huge blessing yes. by my mother's family coming over. Of course, they miss the Holocaust. But I have aunts and uncles who were destroyed in the Holocaust.
0: Now, uh, you wrote a book. Uh, Tell us about that.
1: So the book is Days of Awe. And um, I, I had studied Judaism quite intensely from the time I realized how Jewish I was. So about age 20, and then when I was 37, we we moved to Israel. And we had five children at the time. We had our last one there in Jerusalem. Um, and we couldn't afford to put them in private schools. So they were all in, in Hebrew schools, Israeli state schools, for the first five years that we were in Israel. And we were there about eight years. And that was such a blessing um, in that when you celebrate holidays, the schools are really the center and you really get to learn the traditions by helping your children through their, what they're doing in class. And, and Israelis, many of them are secular, the huge majority, but they still, the holidays are really a big deal for everyone, no one ignores them. And, and God is everywhere. Um, if there's a holiday and uh, let's say, let's say it's Rosh Hashanah, the new year, what you're, what you're doing is you're repenting and you're, you're being the wicked and the, and the righteous are being separated and you, you want your signature in the book of life. So everyone on the street, they don't say hello, they say good signature. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things permeate the society. So I learned a lot about the Jewish holidays, and of course, from because of my background um, in, as a Christian and as a Latter-day Saint, I could see this rich imagery of Christ in all of these holidays. And then I learned how Christ, when he served his, his mission, essentially, he used those holidays to teach people and to testify of himself. So let's say um, during the fall holidays, there's a water libation and they light these huge um, torches, lamps um, on the temple mount. And he went up to the temple lamps and he said, I'm the light. And, and by using the holiday of light and saying, focus this on me, he ta- people were con- converted. And then the water libation, he interrupted and said, I'm the living water. And so the rabbis weren't very happy about it, but it was really a teaching moment um, for him. So this book is, is, is all of the Christ imagery in the holidays and then how to teach and celebrate them yourself. So there's everything you need there to do your own Passover, whether you do a full meal of the Passover and teach your family or you want to do a family home evening or you want to teach it in, in church, uh, have a little demonstration... And it's that way for all the holidays. There's recipes, everything, but everything about how they teach of Jesus Christ. And then we have Latter day fulfillments. So, this is really, I'll tell you one that's just super interesting. Um, There's the fall holidays and the spring holidays, and then in the middle, there's um, a summer holiday, there's seven festivals. And three times you go to the temple in in ancient times. So there were three pilgrimages. In the spring, there were three festivals that you just had to go once because they were all in eight days. And in the fall, um, they were all in eight days. They're kind of mirror image from each other and cut the year in half. Um, so you would go up for those three fall holidays and then you'd go for the middle one, um, the Feast of Weeks. and in the spring holidays, there's three festivals. There's the Passover, which is the sacrifice of the lamb, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which we all know the story. And then there's one more festival and it's the first fruits offering. Um, and what it, it, what happened was the people who came to the festival brought grain with them. And they couldn't eat of the new harvest until this wave offering was made. and it, it guaranteed a, a perfect harvest until the next spring holiday came around and then they could eat the new grain. And it's very interesting the way that, that, that this holiday is prescribed. Before the holiday comes, the, the high priest would, would create a field of barley next to the temple. And they were not allowed to water it and they were not allowed to weed it, it just had to grow up unto itself. And then when, just before the wave offering, they would go down into this little field and people would follow them to give their common consent to choosing the perfect sheaf of grain. And they would tie that, they would bind it with a a cord and then they would take that to the temple and offer it as this wave offering. And that occurs on the, what they do now is the 16th, of Nisan, the Passover sacrifice is the 14th, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread starts the 15th, and then the the wave offering is the 16th, but what it says, it's the first day after the Sabbath that occurs during the Passover week. The Jews have to argue about that, because the first day of Passover is a Sabbath too. <laughs> so essentially it was Sunday, it's the day after the Sabbath. Yeah. So on the Sunday, they do this wave offering. It it guarantees a perfect harvest, and that's the day that Christ was resurrected. So in the Kirtland Temple, Joseph Smith and and Oliver Cowdery are there, and and Christ appears, Moses appears, and Elijah appears, and Elias appears to give them all these keys, and it happens on this holiday that nobody even pays any attention to anymore because there's no no temple to celebrate it where this first fruits offering and the name of the offering is called honored son um that day all of these all of these um prophets appear to joseph smith and oliver cowdery and so and and then joseph smith gets the gold plates on on the jewish new year the rosh hashanah and the lord just keeps fulfilling things on these jewish holidays
0: well, that's all very interesting. Now, you decided to go to Israel. What year was that?
1: It was 1983, and we stayed through the first Gulf War in '91, and we moved to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, after the Gulf
0: War. Okay. Well, I was the founding member of the Jerusalem branch. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. There, there was um, Ken Patey. Mm-hmm. And Dan Rona, right. you know Dan Rona yeah. quite well because you're with uh, B'nai Shalom. Yep. And um, Dan Rona uh, stayed with us either a month or two months until he found a place, and that was in our 1,400 square foot apartment. And we <laughs> with, stayed
1: with them when we for two and a half oh, weeks oh, when did. we first arrived okay. in Israel. Yes. <laughs> and
0: he found a place in Jerusalem, and uh, so like I said, we've got some, quite a bit in common here. Mm-hmm. And I lived in Israel for four years. I was with the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra.
1: Oh, really?
0: I would have probably still been there. I subscribed
1: and... to their YouTube channel. <laughs>
0: yes. Uh, I would probably still be there if, uh, I was waiting to renew the contract for the second time and there's a few things I wanted and the board kept, it was a good tactic. They just kept delaying thinking, okay. And I was getting ready to go to the United States for a tour and if I went at that time then, Anyway, it saved me some money if I was going to move back to the States. And so I remember being at the travel agency and calling them and I said, I need to know, are you going to prove it or not? And they said, well, we're still thinking about it. I said, okay, well, the decision's been made. And so I moved back. But uh, had they done that, most likely I would still be living there. Um, My wife, uh, Claudia, uh, she has a tremendous knack for languages. She became fluent in Hebrew. Wow. um, And with an Israeli accent. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. When <laughs> My she, dream. Yeah, when she was on the phone, uh, people just assumed that she was an Israeli because uh, that's her, amazing. Ac- yeah, her accent was just perfect. And uh, I got where I could converse in Hebrew, uh, which sometimes got me into trouble because I misunderstood some things. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, but uh, I enjoyed the country and now with all the bombings going on, um, Uh, they mention the cities, and I go, my gosh, well, I I lived in Ramat which is where the university was, Tel Aviv University. In fact, the university was, look out my window, and there it was. And um, I actually served on the National Guard. Uh, In fact, they're the first ones that introduced me to guns and shooting. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, after being with the orchestra, I think I did it once or twice a month, every month I had a shift from one in the morning until three in the morning or something and I'd walk the neighborhood and nothing ever happened when I did it so I assumed that there, <laughs> I, I kept everybody safe right uh, we were there for the war the onkipple War mm-hmm. we were in Jerusalem wow. for church yeah and we had to stay with um, I think I think we stayed with David Galbraith you mm-hmm. know David Galbraith mm-hmm. and uh, we stayed with him until the roads were back open and we could, could go back. In fact, I remember we were in sacrament meeting and the sirens went off, and here it's Yom Kippur, and we're going, what is going on? I mean, David and everybody was just like,
1: How it, could this be is happening? Is there something? Is yeah. they running a
0: test? Is this for real? And then, of course, we turned on the radio and found out that yeah. it was a real thing. So, And um, as an orchestra member, we played for all the injured soldiers and uh, during the war. And um, I asked about the Holocaust. One of our neighbors... Uh, uh, she lost everybody. Yeah, she was the sole survivor and of course she had the numbers tattooed on her arm and I Learned so much from her because she acted like life is great Yeah, and I just thought you've lost everybody and what you went through in the concentration camps and yet you're smiling So it did it, it, it
1: yeah, and and You know, everybody complains in Israel is kind of a national pastime, but if you went to the grocery store and you'd pick up a can of tuna fish, and I think there were times when there weren't cans of tuna fish, you know, but you're coming from America and there's always tuna fish, you know, and you pick up a can of tuna fish and you're standing there and you say, oh my gosh, this is so expensive. And then someone's next to you with a tattoo on their arm and you're just, You're so abashed, so embarrassed, so fast, um, it puts everything into perspective really quickly.
0: Well, I remember my wife, uh, I was on, sometimes I'd be 12 weeks on tour, and we had two children at the time. And um, uh, she says, There's been exciting news in the neighborhood. And I said, What is it? Well, we had a little local market, as most of the neighborhoods did. And she says, All the Gavarits, the women in the area, Um, are so excited because there is actually a cake mix. Yes. A cake mix. And I (laughs) said, well, what flavor? And she goes, just white cake, but you can add chocolate if you want to have a chocolate. And they were so excited that they could just get a box and take some water and maybe add an egg and they were able to have cake. And I remember, um, oh, Z-Bang. It was supposed to be like Comet Uh to 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 clean the sink. (laughs) It did no good. I, yeah, yeah. I I think they just took a can of sand and added a little soap and you know, it yeah, never worked. Yeah,
1: product control was a big deal. And then
0: they had an American festival in Tel Aviv in the main building, the tower there. And um, we went and they had cans of Comet. And we bought as many cans as we could of Comet. because it, there, done Yeah, okay, actually cleaned the sink. And we came back and our neighbor said, why are you so excited about this? We've got a cleaner, I said, okay take this can, go home and clean your sink. And they would come back so excited, oh my gosh, this is, the, this is great.
1: Yeah, it's so true. We did, we did all of that. Yeah, it's really
0: And true. then the bug spray, of course, you always had cockroaches and being in the desert and everything. And I always, we used to tease that you would spray the cockroach and he'd just look at you and lap it up, you know, yes. and go, come on, I want some more, give me some more. So whatever products they had weren't very good and they didn't work very good. And yeah, there so, was a
1: toothpaste when we were there called Flirt, and of course that was spelled in Hebrew. And, uh-huh. and to me, it tasted like a combination of, of like Dutch cleanser you use in your sink okay. and peppermint, really strong <laughs> peppermint. Yeah, that product control, but things just kept getting better, you know, so. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, recently I had a nice experience. I've been wanting to make falafel. And at Trader Joe's, they have some falafel that's already made. It's, right. not, it's not fried or anything. And I really don't want to fry the falafel. I prefer to bake it. But anyway, I always tell my wife today that uh, if we ever go to Israel, we're going to go to Haifa, and there is the, there is the soul of falafel. There's yes. one street where you can get falafel. In fact, the, the, the sidewalks are almost paved with falafel because it drops on the sidewalk. Yeah. And I said, it is so good. And I kept describing it. Well, the Trader Joe's is about the closest I've seen. And they even had a mix. And I thought, well, I've tried other mixes and they were kind of, yeah. Yeah. And so I tried the mix and I said, this is getting close. I said, okay, what I need now is the falafel maker. You know, the thing you put it over and throw it into the oil. Well, I found it.
1: Really? Yes,
0: I found it. And I found the exact size that they use in Israel. And when the package came, it was all in Hebrew. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> and
0: I just enjoyed. now I can read Hebrew. I may not know what the word means, right, but right. I, I can read it. <laughs> yes. And so I, I actually downloaded into my phone a Hebrew English uh, translation uh, app. Mm-hmm. So I can type in Hebrew and then it'll give me the English. So I said, well, what do they call this thing? And uh, it was, it's called a falafel maker. That, that, that's the translation. And so now I make my falafel, and I, I put it there, and I drop it down. And of course, I bake it instead of frying it. But um, yeah, I, I was so thrilled. So when my wife came home, I said, "This is what we had in Israel all the time. This was the packaging." Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know Hebrew, too bad. Yeah. And she she knows the story that our our oldest daughter was in Israel when she was, I think, five, and so she attended the public schools. And her teacher that first year knew Hebrew and German. And if you didn't know one of those two languages, too bad. All the notices came from the school in Hebrew. And so you had to learn Hebrew or just be in the dark. And so we we had some wonderful experiences there. And um, uh, I I just enjoy the country. I enjoy the people. In fact, while I was there, most people assumed I was Jewish because my last name, Bernard, is a Jewish French name. And uh, I would have to explain, no, I'm not Jewish, uh, but I still suspect, and I still haven't been able to get back far enough that there is some Jewish line within within me. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how much were there, but uh, I've always had this love for Israel. Yeah. Just, it's, it's innate in me. And when I had a chance to go uh, live there for four years, I said, let's go, because it's just, it's a special country, it really is.
1: Yeah, and it's really funny, when things get really bad like they are right now, you feel like running to, oh, I to do. the country. It's, I do. It's like having a child. I mean, the worse things are, the, the more you feel like going um, yeah. to help. It's yeah. really interesting.
0: I used to tell my children, I said, if things really got bad in Israel and they, they needed soldiers, now I'm old, but uh, at that age, I said, I'd go back. Yeah. because I believe that much in it. And in fact, my third son was born there, so he's got dual citizenship, and he never served in the Army. But I said, if you go back, they may grab you up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
1: you know, that said, we because we were LDS, we had the freedom to really um, get into Palestinian culture, too, mm-hmm. and, and learn so much and have so many people that we love over there. Yeah. Um who are Palestinian? And when people, you know, ask me, are you are you pro-Israel, pro-pro-Palestinian? I have to say, if you're if you're not just pro people, you're not doing it right. Yeah. You just have to be pro people. Yeah, um, I have and- to
0: agree. I I did learn to profile people when I was there. Uh, when I traveled with the orchestra, we were always with the secret police and being guarded because people wanted to kill us. Yeah. Um, and usually most concerts started outside the country with, well, we've had bomb threats. We've gone through the building. The dogs have gone through the building. And if you want to leave, right. leave. Otherwise, no one ever left. And um, uh, it, it it's just very, very strange. And, you know, David Galbraith had a woman that worked for him. David was uh, exporting T-shirts that had fancy right. embroidery on it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he told us a story of this woman. Uh, she, she literally lived in a cave, as you know, there in Bethlehem, there, that area. And um, she had no lighting in the cave. And she kept telling David she's saving her money, she's saving her money. And finally, she, she wanted to show David, after about a year of saving money, what she bought. And he, he said, well, what is it? And he was just assuming she had arranged to have lighting put in the cave. And no, it was a necklace. Right. And, then, and then David explained, he said, Well, she's, it doesn't take much to be divorced as an Arab woman.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, you can be That's kicked true. out. That's your it, what you, It's what you got on your body that you can take with yeah. you. So that she was taking care of herself to, mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, in learning to profile, I still get uneasy when I see young Arab men. Yeah. I, it's just in me. Um, I don't know if I can ever get rid of it. I know I should love them, and I do. But we were one time in California, and about four of them, probably about 25, and they were all speaking Arabic, and they just fit that, that profile. That profile. Yeah. And I couldn't believe the uneasiness that came over me. And yet they were harmless, they weren't doing anything, you know, it, 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 it's hard.
1: Yeah, but you know that it, it's really interesting that when you go into the West Bank or, or any Arab ter- 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 territory in Israel, they're very suspicious of each other. Yes. Um, they know where people are from, who their families are. And you, you can't say Muhammad um, meet, meet uh, I- Ibrahim. And they'll say, oh hi, it's good to know you, you know, and shake hands. That doesn't happen. Right. They want to know who your family is, um, where you're from, and they're very suspicious of each other. Yes. And and so, yeah, I think that that runs through the the society, at least there.
0: Well, um, I didn't ask you about, uh, about when you graduated from BYU, what exactly did you graduate in? In English. In English. And you were saying um, that you were an English teacher,
1: yes, high yes. school English teacher. I' yeah. shortest were- person in all my classes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what in high school what age were you teaching?
1: Um everybody. I had six or seven preparations. Just, oh, wow. yeah, I just um, con- just I taught six different classes, and they were all unique. So oh, wow. um, it was it was interesting.
0: Well, being a teacher myself I I know what that means that, yeah. that, that was a, a lot, lot of preparation yeah. yes how many years did you teach
1: um in public school only one then I taught in private schools and then I I taught all the years that we lived abroad in informal situations taught ESL in Israel okay. and uh, and that was a lot of fun too and and then just always worked with the schools my kids were in yeah so. okay and
0: and um, As an English teacher, I I know I said something that, um, you know, English was not my my subject. Right. (laughs) I I certainly struggled with it and uh, everything. But uh, uh, I used to interpret, I'm fluent in American Sign Language, and I used to interpret at the junior colleges for the ESL classes. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot. Yeah, there were some things that they were teaching, and I'm, I'm 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 interpreting, and I'm going. I didn't know that. <laughs> I got I got got to stop my hand so I can make a note here. I, I learned a lot from that just being in an ESL class because they approached they approached English in a very different way than they approached right. it in high school.
1: I had a little fun experience with with ASL. Um, we went to a concert at a high school years ago, um, and it was presented by a deaf uh, troupe of actors. Oh. And they danced. They did all kinds of things. And um, after the the program was sensational. After it was over, people were le- were leaving the auditorium. But there were little conversation groups around the auditorium, but very far apart. But because you're you're speaking with your hands, you can eavesdrop. Yes. So people were were leaning around their group, it's eavesdropping it's on someone way across yes. the auditorium. Did, to to essentially listen to what they were yes, signing yes that
0: it's hard to keep a secret yes it is <laughs> in fact uh, what happens between husbands and wife they develop their own little secret language and that's why as an interpreter uh, there are six uh, modes of of communication with an ASL and one is public for example and mm-hmm. one is intimate and so it's possible um, that you can see a conversation going and see the signs, but it's not making sense because <laughs> the husband and wife have developed these signs that, that they know what they're what they're doing, or I've seen people kind of get in a corner with another person and turn their back on everybody and, and that's how they have their their Yes conversation. that's that's tough. <laughs> but I love American Sign Language because my wife can be across the room and she knows some because we we actually attended deaf branches here in the United States for close to twenty years and um i can sign something and i don't have to yell at her or something and it's just it, it it's a wonderful a wonderful exciting language but yes it, it's um it, it it's a unique language uh you know for example it's okay to to talk and eat yeah you know? that's right and in english you don't do that but you can you, can, you can be, signing and talking and chewing at the same time and it's (laughs) it's got a lot of advantages a lot of advantages to it well um, getting into the scriptures um, what is your approach of the scriptures and i i know that uh, before we started you alluded to that uh, you you've been teaching the gospel doctrine classes for quite a few years and what is your approach within the gospel like, uh,
1: well, with Bible, I have a lot to offer in putting context to the scriptures because it's very difficult to be in our present day in a Western society to understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and so having lived in Israel, knowing where all the places are that they're talking about, um, understanding some Hebrew um, and understanding just their society and their traditions and everything. Um, I'm able to to kind of set the stage for the things that are happening and how people felt um, and uh, to bring meaning to things that are are usually hard to understand especially in Old Testament which is Old Testament is easy for me and even Isaiah is very comfortable and I think part of it is having a Jewish mind which is unique it's genetic it's not not something you can learn um, or adapt, um, and and so I think that's really a big calling is is to add context and understanding to the Bible. In the Book of Mormon, I I see it as a Jewish scripture, and it, mm-hmm. it's really easy to see if if you're familiar with Jewish culture and tradition and um, the Mosaic Law and all and all of that and. It really helps to prove the Book of Mormon is true when you see those things, um, that Joseph Smith could not possibly have known. Um, uh, And then, you know, in, in the Doctrine and Covenants, I don't know that I have any advantage, except that there are many commandments from the Lord in the Doctrine and Covenants they're straight out of the Law of Moses, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of interesting yeah. too. To well, bring
0: you to. mentioned the Book of Mormon quite often. I will look up a word not in English, but what it was in Hebrew in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and what was the meaning of that. Of course, I use Strong's Concordance uh-huh. and things like that. But um, quite often, it it enlightens me to what that verse is really about.
1: Yeah, and the Hebrew translation is often. So much different yes. than than what we get and what we understand. There is a new um, Translation translation. I don't remember the first name of this scholar. The, his last name is Alter, and he He translated it from scratch from the Hebrew and it's quite a bit different than oh. Than um, than any translation yeah. that we have and I'd love to to buy it. It's expensive um, you know I, I there's one thing that, th- that is really valuable from the scriptures that I like to teach, and I'd, I'd love to get it out to millions of people. Um, I, I wrote about it on Third Hour, which is one of our websites. Um, and it, it's, it, it, the article I wrote is, is, perfection is not what you think it is. And I think this is so important for Latter-day Saints, because we're so diligent, we have so much work to do, because we have a lay clergy, we all have callings. And so we're very busy. And I think that we tend to feel like we're, we're slackers or we're not doing very well in the Lord's eyes when we aren't fulfilling our checklists. And I, I think that's tempting for everyone, but especially for Latter-day Saints where industriousness is such an important part of our, our tradition. Um, and when Jesus was teaching um, the people he said, be thou therefore perfect, even if, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he didn't say much more about that. You know, he didn't elaborate. No, he didn't. And the reason he didn't elaborate was because everybody got it. And and that's really interesting because we don't get it um, because of our Western orientation and the history of our, our faith. Um, the Jews had a tradition already of what perfection was and it comes from, the law of Moses and Jewish mysticism, mm-hmm. and it's, it goes way, way back, back to King Solomon and King David, and even before that. Um, and so when he said, be thou therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, the people instantly understood what he was talking about because of their background. Um, and what they understood was to have the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are seven. There are three that are the prime attributes and there are seven that are the, all of the attributes. And so when we think of being perfect, instead of visualizing a checklist, you have to visualize these attributes and check and see whether you're, you're becoming a person who has those attributes. So the three main attributes are love, justice, and mercy. So at the end of your day, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't do my ministering. I was going to call so-and-so, you know, and and then I I wasn't patient with my kids because I had this other thing to do for primary. When you review your day, were you loving? Were you loving to everyone or were you selective? Um, Were you inclusive of all of Heavenly Father's children and creations in the way that you loved? And... Our goal really is to be is to love like Heavenly Father loves is to is to have that pure charity of Jesus Christ and develop that that um, that pure love that loves everything that God has created and everyone that God has created equally. So was I loving today? And then was I fair? Was I just? And that's you know when you review your day and you think of let's see I was in the supermarket and there was only one apple left and i i went a little faster so i could grab it before someone else you know um those those kinds of things was i fair you know was i just um when i was at the little league baseball game was i fair and then mercy was i merciful today instead of what did i get done Mm -hmm. was i loving was i just was i merciful and then the other four attributes are really, really surprising. And they take a lot of introspection and thought that I hope that people, when they learn these, they'll they'll do that. Uh, the first of those is prophecy, which is a surprise, isn't it? An attribute of God is prophecy. And for us, that's the testimony of Jesus Christ and the sensitivity to the Spirit, to live by the Spirit and understand the Spirit and know when the Spirit is guiding us. Is are really our main task while we we're, we're here on the earth, um, and then the the next trait is priesthood, and that's another surprise, mm-hmm. and and you start you start to realize what the temple is doing for us when you when you start to hear these other attributes. Um, do we have the priesthood power, and how do we how do we exercise mm-hmm. it, how do we hold it? Um, what is it doing for us in our lives? And, and recently the prophet and all of our leaders have had us, men and women, they urge, have urged us to study what our what the priesthood does for us and what our power is and what our understanding is and what the gifts are that come mm-hmm. with the priesthood. And the next attribute is kingship. Another mm-hmm. surprise. And there you go to the temple again. What are the promises in the temple if you overcome the world and you become co-heirs with Christ? Um, you're crowned with this with this royalty and we need to learn about it and understand it. But we can see that the the gifts of the temple are to give us these attributes and for us to nurture. And then the last one is enduring to the end. So, so the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever in that he has these attributes that are always perfectly exercised. And for us to endure in righteousness is that last at- attribute. How are we doing on that journey? So this is a message that, that Christ, all Christ had to say was, be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the people understood exactly what he was talking about, because that's such a strong ancient Jewish tradition. And so, actually, he was being repetitive to them. Mm-hmm. They understood what mm-hmm. he was saying, whether they were faithful or not, whether they were there for the loaves and fishes or not. They understood yes. what he was saying.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I was thinking of the Greek word in that uh, verse. That's uh, Matthew five forty-eight. Is teleos, and it means one of the definitions in Greek is to be complete. Exactly. Yes. And that's what you're talking about, is being complete within those, those seven attributes. And I, I, what I've always found interesting is that he doesn't mention himself as being complete or perfect at that point. It's only in 3 Nephi, something happened after his death and resurrection that he said, be either for perfect, even as I or my Father in heaven is. Perfect.
1: Right, well, he had to go through the resurrection to yeah. be perfect in those attributes, yeah. um, as his Father is, and and we will too. I mean, those kind those attributes aren't perfect until we're yeah. exalted. But that's what we should be working on on mm-hmm. Earth is not our checklist that makes us sad you know it makes us unhappy and when you talk about perfection being completeness that's exactly what it is Um, uh, Tom is one of the words for wholeness and and when we talk about that sign of satan that that 666 Mm -hmm. it's never getting to seven which is the holy number that's right it's so it's it's the week without the sabbath it's ever and eternally incomplete Mm Um, and so this completeness and this wholeness um, are the wholeness of these attributes mm-hmm. that we need to Yeah,
0: And you mentioned the number of se- the seven. Of course, living in Israel, you, were, um, you talked about the mysticism there in Israel and with the numerology and everything, and seven is that complete number. Right. And, um, and six is not. It, <laughs> it just never gets quite, there. You haven't quite completed. And so, <laughs> yes, and of course, it's interesting you tie in the seven attributes into that, uh, into the seven. Well, you individually, when you study the scriptures, do you use hard copy, you digital, what, what do you use? I use
1: both. I, I mean, I use everything I can get at my disposal. Um, mm-hmm. and people sometimes ask me, because I seem to know a lot, and part of that is because i'm just really really old (laughs) and so i've had a lot of time to study things and being a teacher for decades Mm -hmm. um i've taught ces classes and and gospel doctrine for a long time you prepare because you're teaching Mm -hmm. and you learn you're the one who gets the most out of it because you learn so much when you're studying to teach Um, but you know i have to tell people that the institute manuals are are amazing they're so good mm-hmm. and and to either study them digitally or um or to get your your own copies and mark them up uh they they're just really reliable um resources when you're studying the gospel and then in the bible um um now I'm trying to remember his name he wrote he wrote the the intertestamental period and he's jewish who is it? Help me think of what his name is. Avram? No, it's not Giliadi, it's um We have to figure it out okay. and 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 put a link.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll put he wrote a, a
1: book in. on the intertestamental period and um and that was a long time 400 years. And when you think of how much our world has changed in 400 years, we go right from the Old Testament to the New Testament and we don't even study what happened or yep. know what happened between yes. those times. So when we're going from Old Testament to New Testament, I always give a fireside on the intertestamental oh. period and show how the lives of, of Jews had and Israelites had changed in that 400 years. Um, their language changed, everything changed. And and it's just really important to understanding the world that Christ came into. and. Understanding that world is a huge advantage hmm. when you learn about the savior.
0: I'm not familiar with that book I'm gonna to have to look it up and uh, and read it
1: I've got to remember his name. I'll, I'll be able you to Google, Google it. We'll, we'll
0: find it. Yeah. yeah, and I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah yeah. So um, yes, no, uh, there's that 400 years and, and things do change and language changes. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a dynamic thing it's like You know, when um, in uh, First Nephi, the very first verse, "I have been born of goodly parents." Well, what I spent literally hours researching "goodly." I tried to find equivalents up to it in the in the Hebrew and the Greek, and uh, I went to uh, etymologies and and defined it, and and I found it had a lot of meaning that. most likely, it meant his parents were highly respected within the community, mm-hmm. and of course, we know his father was quite wealthy. Yes, and what, usually, when you have wealth, people in the community look up to you. <laughs> and so, um, his and the next part, I Nephi have been born of goodly parents, therefore, I was taught somewhere in learning my father. And I think, why did he put that in? Well, I did research and found that they. If they went to school, in fact, the, the literacy rate was about 99%, yeah. you, you know, or illiteracy rate, and, they, um, and if they did go to school, the boys learned about farming, and the girls learned about marriage, and, um, and things like that, and divorce, and things like that. Uh, but this is why, in the New Testament, the Savior said, and thus you have heard. She yeah. never said, and thus you have read, read. Yeah. because they didn't read. They everything was uh, was uh, just spoken, and so as I put all that together, I go, well, yes, his parents were wealthy; they were able to send him to school. I'm sure his father did some do some teaching, but his father most likely was gone a lot, and uh, so he. This is this is what that verse means, and so I put that in the notes in the Gospel Library a section like this, on how I came to that that conclusion. And then I even looked at the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, and what "goodly" meant at that time of Joseph Smith. But words have meaning. Yeah. Uh, I I remember this is years ago, when Rush Limbaugh, who's <laughs> uh, passed away last year, but uh, Rush Limbaugh, I listened to him on the radio when I was in sales, and and uh, many times he says words have meaning, and it seems very, yeah, words do have meaning, but. That's not what he meant. <laughs> that words really do have meaning, yeah. and when you pick one word to describe somebody as opposed to another word, there's meaning in that. Right. And so we decide, we find that in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and in the choice of words. Um, I've been struggling recently with um, the Savior talks about someone having exceeding faith. Well, if they've got exceeding faith, then there has to be degrees of faith. There's got to at least be an opposite of that because if someone is the top there's got to be a bottom and so I I keep going well What does it take to have exceeding faith and and what is what's the bottom line of that? And so I I think this is what you're talking about that uh, it's understanding these and as an English teacher Words are important to you.
1: Yeah, and it is interesting to read the um, Bible and especially the New Testament and see where the apostles are making cultural judgments where they're not not—they're not revealing the Word of God, but they're just making cultural um, judgments. Mm-hmm. And you, you do see that in the Doctrine and Covenants too, where you can discern the difference in the voice of Christ and the voice of Joseph Smith. Um, it's easy to see when Joseph Smith is speaking and
0: when mm-hmm. Christ is speaking. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else in your scripture study that you do?
1: I read the Book of Mormon every day. I and then I study and whatever other scripture we're studying um and if I'm and then I'll add another one sometimes um I read commentaries. I I do a lot of of studying um and I read a lot of articles about how the gospel works in people's lives mm-hmm. um I think that's one of the one of the you know there are basic things that we learn while we're here in mortality and one, does, one is to discern the spirit and another is to understand how the Lord works in people's lives and that's a long learning process that one um and sometimes we have to go through certain bitter trials to see how the Lord works and sometimes we give up because he's not working in the way that we thought he should um but there's a lot of learning to do so I, I can't even imagine not reading the Book of Mormon every day and and I get through it twice in a year, and then I read um, whatever sc- other scriptures we're studying, mm-hmm. um and of course, prepare to teach.
0: Now, do you keep a journal uh, as you're studying what what do you do? There?
1: I keep a journal um, anyway, but I don't keep a study journal no, necessarily. Okay. Um, because I'm teaching so much, I have my lesson plans, and those lesson plans, always um, include insights that I've received through inspiration while I've been preparing. Um, and so my, you know, my, my teaching notes are essentially my, my, um, my study journal.
0: Now, what do you do in the ward now? Are you teaching? A- I'm a gospel doctrine oh, teacher. you are the gospel doctrine <laughs> teacher now. I, 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 I'll I, I know you, you th- talked th- about it in the past, but... but, I, but I, I
1: really not. feel sorry for bishops and, and leaders in the wards that I've been in because i have I have held them at ransom quite often, I mean, like when we got to this ward, I said, You know we're we're trying to decide on a house to buy and and we'll get one in your neighborhood if I can be a gospel doctrine teacher <laughs> and then I was released as a gospel doctrine teacher once, and I was so mad there wasn't any reason for it. I wasn't being called to anything else, it was just a release and i Thought maybe I was doing something wrong. I, you know, and when the poor um, um, counselor in the bishopric who was was releasing me, I was I was saying I want you to know that I accept this release under duress. That I I don't agree with it. He had one hand on the doorknob, ready to flee. <laughs> and so you know, I I really feel sorry for the the leaders and the wards I've been in because I can hardly stand not to be a gospel doctor teacher. Mm-hmm. I feel, when I'm not teaching, I feel lost and like I'm not complete. It's mm-hmm. just so so much a part of me to teach that I have to be doing it all the time.
0: Yeah. Now have you taught younger ages? Oh
1: yeah, everybody. Okay. So, yeah.
0: So you've done the primary route. And yeah. Yeah, I taught primary for 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that and the young, and I like teaching the youth, the teenage years.
1: I do too. I'm I'm really best after twelve.
0: Okay, age twelve. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that I don't know if I was the greatest uh, six year old teacher, you know, because I want to get more in the scriptures and I've got to start yeah. this very basic uh, yeah thing, thing with them. But I, I agree. I I like it when they're uh, older and and we can just, that's the age where you can start reasoning a little bit. Right. You know, you can say why did the Savior say this word and not this word. Right. And, and things like that, so I, I really that. Well, Gail, I've really enjoyed the time with you.
1: Well, so have uh, I.
0: It, it, it's, it's been great. Um, um, I'm almost going to self-invite myself when you have Passover. <laughs> Give me a call.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know when we'll do it again. It's,
0: uh, uh, but, COVID has really interrupted a lot. We missed two. Because so. I'd love having my wife to experience a, a real Passover. Uh, I, enjoyed the, I always enjoyed the Jewish holidays. No, they're Israel. wonderful. I always Jewish, Jewish holidays are the best. And, and I enjoyed them. I, I know this sounds terrible, but I enjoyed them more than Christmas.
1: Yeah, and I do too, and I hope that we celebrate the Jewish holidays during the millennium. And we yeah. should, because it, it's the whole round of the gospel is there. Yeah, yeah. And so...
0: I I don't know. Christmas has become so commercialized. And yeah. It just, it, it destroys I it. I do love
1: Christmas, but the symbolism of all of... The Jewish holidays and and when we do when we're in the millennium it, it will all the imagery will be complete yeah. well, It'll it will be marvelous and it's
0: even like celebrating Sukkot or or, or things like that you yeah. know and Sukkot is wonderful and and most likely when King Benjamin was giving his talk that's what was happening yes yeah, yeah it was that's most likely what was going on and so now I enjoy the Jewish holidays and I just uh, I miss them um and you're right the the whole the whole country just celebrates they may not be actively religious but it's the culture yes it's wonderful and, and they do it uh, maybe passover is just the time that the, all the family gets together and enjoy mm-hmm. each other but they, they go through the, the ritual of it but uh, i really enjoy it so anyway i'm going to self-invite myself anytime you want okay. to come, come to passover <laughs> sounds yeah, you've good got my phone number you can yes get, give me a call and I had, didn't say anything, but I literally live six minutes from here. Oh, really? Uh, you're in an ivory home. Yeah. And we're on the ivory homes on the other side by the lake. Oh, yeah. So if you go down 500 south and keep going till it ends, mm-hmm. there's my home.
1: Amazing. And so we
0: are neighbors, and yet we have so much in common because of Israel and. And people like uh, David Galbraith and Dan Rowan and things yeah. like that. So, and we both lived in Israel for a while, so yeah. it's been great. So anyway, it's really been wonderful with you. And I always ask my guests at the end if they would mind bearing their testimony.
1: I'd love to bear my testimony. I, You know, I we have uh, B'nai Shalom, which is a group of uh, Jewish converts and people who are interested in both the, the gospel, Latter-day Saint gospel and, and Judaism and... And once they find the church, they find that Judaism is embraced in the Gospel of Jesus Christ as we teach it in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because we have the whole circle, um, and we have the Aaronic and the Melchistic. Um, no other church can offer that that kind of fulfillment and and. Um, restoration of, the, of of all of Judaism. And so, for me, it's been so rich. Um, and I knew, the second I walked into that building, the church meeting house, when I was 16, that the church was true. And I didn't know anything about it. It was just that Heavenly Father revealed to me that this is the place. When I read the Book of Mormon, I had another experience. And I continue to have it every time I read it. And I can read the bible and i've read the bible many times i'm well versed in the bible but it doesn't um, give me the same spirit spiritual dose as the book of mormon does Uh, even as as much as i've i honor and love the bible the spirit is so much fuller in the book of mormon um, that i can't miss a day without reading it um i've I've been able to to realize all of the blessings of the church um, through the priesthood of my husband, through the temple blessings. Um, and I know this is the place. This is the only place where the fullness exists. And I, I, I thank God every day that He led me to the church. Everything good in my life, and I'm 75 now. You can't tell because you're just listening and my voice hasn't gotten... Too aged yet, but um, every good thing in my life since I converted to the church at 16 is because of the gospel. And um, and if you're if you're wondering about whether there's worth here and you're thinking of going somewhere else, don't go. This is the place. It really is.